0: welcome to another episode of wet and dry the kayaking podcast where myself and Adrian matter and talk all things related to kayaking cameras and traveling the world with your kayak chasing waterfalls and the random shenanigans that that entails. Adrian's currently traveling back from Zambia so he's not able to join us on this week's podcast and I'm down south in Patagonia Chile but hopefully we'll link up and do one together next week. In the meantime, this is a solo podcast, and the name of this episode is From Warrington to Waterfalls. So Warrington is my hometown. Um, It's slap bang in the middle of Liverpool and Manchester in the northwest of England. It's an old industrial town. And while it's not necessarily the best place to be from, it's certainly not the worst. And I feel really lucky to have grown up there and to be shaped by that town. I would say the things that are most important to people that live there are to be proper tough and proper funny, and I pride myself on trying to be both of those things as much as I possibly can as amazing as as privileged as I feel now to have grown up in Warrington and to to have been shaped by it at the time that was really difficult for me because i 'm sort of well honestly i 'm a complete weirdo. <laughs> I've tried to explain to people how my brain works and the the best analogy I can have is imagine you're in a small room and you kick a football as hard as you can at the wall and it's just pinging and bouncing off the walls and the ceiling that's sort of how my brain works and that's why I, it's very easy f- for me to have ideas but it can be difficult for me to maintain my attention on one idea cuz it's always bouncing and going on to the next one and sometimes the the football goes through the window and I'm off on a completely different train of thought and again I feel really lucky for the way that my brain works cuz it's, it's it's exciting and I'm always innovating and always having ideas but it, ma- it made it really hard when I was a kid to fit in with the other kids and to maintain conversations and to be normal and to to go along that path. But um it is what it is and I've I've learned to um I've learned to like direct my attention better and to try and be better at holding conversations and my attention over the years. But that's that's the struggle I'm up against. That's how my brain works. And on top of that, I was always not a n not like a normal kid from Warrington, you know? Like I think to be a normal boy from Warrington, you'd be into rugby football and boxing you know that's your free interest right there nothing nothing more needed and you know i did really enjoy going to boxing class and rugby was fun every now and again i hated football i had two left feet i was useless and everyone used to be disappointed and mad and shouting at me when we would play And on top of that, I was also, I really loved reading books. That's something my mom always had me doing and something that I always really enjoyed being able to escape into books and just get lost in that world or to find a subject I'm interested in and read about it and learn more. And I always used to go into school and just be there early and reading books before class instead of hanging out with the kid with the other kids and yeah I was I was a weirdo growing up I loved art class and drama class but that's that at the time that was I guess it was okay if you were a boy and you liked art and drama class but um it was certainly something that the other kids would make fun of you for liking so I sort of withdrew into myself and I never really felt like school was for me and uh, i used to dread going there every single day and yeah completely and utterly hated it but one of the best things that ever happened to me in school is they took us out of the city and into the countryside so we went up to the lake district and we tried a bunch of outdoor sports we tried hiking which for me at the time was cold and boring And we tried, um, climbing, which was very exciting when you were doing it, but then you had to wait in line for the instructor to like belay the other kids until you would get another go. And I found that quite difficult to wait in line. (laughs) And then we tried kayaking and I remember being so excited, so excited just to be by the lake and the water and the kayaks were all brightly colored it was a fleet of yellow Prana master 300s i believe and anyway we get in the kayaks and everyone's excited and all of a sudden i don't have to wait my turn and no one's telling me what to do and no one's telling me what's right and wrong and i'm just free you know and i'm floating around on the water and i'm picking up speed and when you're learning how to kayak and you pick up speed eventually you're going to spin out you're not gonna be able to keep it straight anymore And when you spin out, you can drop the right edge or you can drop the wrong edge. And if you drop the wrong edge, then the water piles up on your sidewall and flips you. And if you drop the right edge, then the kayak releases and it skids across the water, especially when you're a 40-kilogram kid in a a big adult-sized kayak. It just skips along the water. And I remember the kayak making this like cha 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 sound as it went across the top of the water and i just had my mind blown i was so in love with that feeling i was doing it the rest of the the rest of the session on the lake just completely in love with that sensation and the the feedback and the connection from the kayak and the water and i came back from that trip and i was like "Mama, kayaker now <laughs> and Her and my dad were still together at the time and they got me this like 25 pound fiberglass kayak. And looking back, it was probably um, a death trap. But at the time, it was my pride and joy, this fiberglass kayak. It was red and it had a yellow racing stripe down it. And it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in the world. And I loved it. Sometimes I go on eBay and I try and track down a similar looking kayak because I would love to have one, but I haven't managed to find one yet. But I'm on the lookout. And anyway, then I was in this fiberglass kayak, and m- my dad would take me to the lakes and the canals and stuff. And we um we went to the local kayaking club. Um, I think it was just called Warrington Canoe Club. They had a pool session every Thursday night at the Orford Swimming Pool. Um. And I used to go there and it was amazing as a kid, you know, you're in the warm water, you're in a swimming pool, and you can learn to roll and do all these things and just mess around. It's such a good time. I, I still have so much love for a pool session. Me and Dame were were at a pool session once a few years ago and we were just going berserk. <laughs> it's so much fun in there. Um but anyway, I would go to these pool sessions and there at the club they were really into slalom and competitions. And that's although Although clubs are an amazing resource in the UK, and there's so many of them, I think especially a few, like when I was learning 10, 20 years ago at this point, there was a big focus on like any youngster that had potential of just like putting them into slalom and competitions. And I was never about that. I never liked being told what to do and I never liked rules and stuff. And the thing that I enjoyed most about kayaking is the there were no rules. No one told me what to do. And it was just about how you and the water and the kayak connected with each other and how you you interpreted that. Um, so I was never into competitions, but the club really was, and they were constantly trying to get me to compete in slalom. And I just wasn't into it. Um, I went to, I don't know, like two or three slalom races in my red, red, um, my red fiberglass kayak and yeah, I did, I did okay, but it was never, it was never a big thing for me. I'm probably like aged 10 or 11 at this point. Um but when I was going to these slalom competitions there I saw someone do a pivot turn on the tail so that's where you dip the tail of your slalom kayak so you can go around the poles quicker That didn't matter to me what mattered to me is that a freaking kayak was vertical and doing a wheelie it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life and I was like that's it that is for me that's what I want to do all I want to do is get a kayak vertical and I I had a book, I think um, it was called This is the Art of Kayaking or something like that by uh, Bill Matos. He used to to own Nucky and run that. I'm pretty sure he wrote that book. But anyway, in that book, they had a really good section where it explained all the different types of kayaking. And I was reading through that and I got to the freestyle chapter. And I was just, my head was just blown backwards, you know, like these kayaks were shorter, they had like swallow tails, um, rails, like all these cool design features, which, you know, like now, I firmly believe like design features on kayaks, less is more, you know, and you only want to put a line on there, when it's going to do something and when you know it's going to work, but At that time, when those freestyle kayaks were coming out, it was just a field day. You know, people could do whatever they thought might work well and they were doing it on these kayaks. You know, there were some crazy looking ones out there. The S6X from Piranha was my dream kayak because you could put like a body kit on it to funnel the water differently in different ways and make your kayak um, have more pop or less pop and have it be slower or faster on a wave and... I don't think any of these features worked that well, but when you're a kid and you're you're just trying to understand things, then it for me it was the coolest kayak out there and I always dreamt of having one. Um my dad took me to Prana Kayaks and at the time they had a shop there that was um I think it was called kayaks northwest, and it still is actually. Um, it's still there, but at the time you could get these like old secondhand kayaks there as well, or like factory blems and stuff like that. And he got me a Piranha S6F. So it didn't have the body kit that the S6X had, but it was still like basically my dream kayak. It was in this orange Jaffa color that used to be like Piranha's signature color, and it was the happiest I've ever been to, to have that kayak. And I was just sat in it all the time, reading my kayaking book. We, we bought a kayaking DVD in there at the shop. Funnily enough, I think the title of that DVD was Jehovah's Wetness. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It was a VHS, actually. This is how long ago it was. It was a VHS. It was called Jehovah's Wetness. And yeah, I was sat there in my Prana S6F in my lounge watching this kayaking DVD, the happiest kid ever, because I was certain that I was going to get in this freestyle kayak and that was it. I'd just be doing tricks. But life doesn't work that way and kayaking certainly doesn't work that way. You've got to put in so many hours learning how to move a kayak around and how to interact with the water and all that stuff. And I tried and failed for basically an entire year in that kayak to get it vertical. But because it was a medium one and I was a tiny kid, it just wasn't going to happen. You know, like no matter how much will you have at some point, well, at all at all points, physics is the boss, no matter how much will you will power you have. And I just couldn't get this thing vertical. Um, no matter how much I tried. And I had some really good teachers as well, because the people that used to go to that local pool session, there was a crew called the River Crew. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily like that into that Warrington canoe club scene because they were all like old and and sort of boring and like focused on slalom and didn't give really give me much time because instead of doing flat water sprints in the pool and all this stuff, I was messing around, rolling my kayak, trying to get it vertical, filling it up with water and just basically causing chaos to these people trying to take themselves too seriously. Um, But there were these older guys that would show up to the pool sessions as well every now and again. And, you know, they had tattoos and they had freestyle kayaks and they were doing tricks. And I was like, these are my people. And uh, they were super nice. They took me under their wing because I was this young enthusiastic kid from the same town as them. And they taught me a bunch of stuff like how to do double pumps, which is your first way to get a kayak vertical. And I never managed to hit it in that Piranha S6F that I had then I got a Jackson star, which was my size for the first time. And I'd, I'd done some growing and I'd, I'd gotten stronger from like boxing class and strength training and all that stuff and puberty. And uh, anyway, I got this pro this Jackson star, which fit me properly for the first time. And I spent an entire summer trying to learn how to double pump, which is your gateway to getting vertical in a kayak. So you you lift the nose up and you wait for it to fall, and then you push down with the back of the blade and put weight on your feet. And then from there, the nose of the kayak goes under the water, and you can either do a do a stall on your nose or you can do a cartwheel. But the biggest thing for me is just that the kayak was finally going vertical, and it was the coolest sensation ever. For anyone trying to learn that trick and, the, and that is struggling, the big thing that I was doing wrong, number one, was just repeating the same thing over and over again and not really changing it up or thinking about it, just hoping that magically it would change. Um, so you really got to digest and process what you're doing. And the second big thing is that I finally, eventually, after weeks, realized that I was trying to push the nose of the kayak down too soon while it was still trying to come up for the first part of the double pump and... My top tip for that trick is after you pull your nose up, you have to wait for it to fall and then push. I and mean, then it works so, so much better. Um, I had some good breakthroughs with the kids um, at the park jams this year with teaching them that. And just that one little tip helps so much. Um, but anyway, if all of a sudden I could get my kayak vertical, I was hanging out with the river crew. They would take me kayaking with them and I Man, I was I was so stoked. They would make videos. I think I was in one or two of them. They had this forum, right? Before like Facebook and all this stuff, they had a website with a forum on it and they were always sharing music and funny videos. And I, I finally felt like I was a part of something and that I had friends, you know, even though they were so much older than me. Um and and I had the, you know, like I I was still struggling to like have a bunch of friends in school and stuff, but like these older kayakers were my friends and Yeah, it was the first point where I felt accepted by this crew and I I loved my times with them. It was, it was amazing. And I got older and we started hanging out more and we started like going away on camping weekends and going kayaking and they took me up to Scotland for my first time. And it was just amazing. It was, it was really good times with the river crew and I'm super grateful to everyone that from that crew that took me under their wing, um, They were definitely trying to push themselves and they were doing a lot of river running as well. And they were pretty cool about letting me come freestyling with them, but weren't too into like the thought of me coming with them and doing the, the ditch bashing in North Wales or stuff where I could get hurt on. And also the one or two times that I tried to go with them, we basically ended up chasing water around North Wales and not really kayaking on that much. And in this this sport, we call that getting skunked, you know? And that was the worst outcome for me because I could basically only kayak a maximum two days a week on the weekends. And so the thought of spending all day driving around and not kayaking just to end up on one of the rivers that does run but be struggling to find daylight to kayak there was a nightmare situation for me. And so instead I would end up just going to Mile Mill on the River Dee in langollen because that river flows every single day of the year, and there I could just spend. I I'm not kidding now. I I would spend eight hours on the water at least. Um, I wouldn't stop for food. I wouldn't stop for anything. And the only thing that would make me get off the water is is my dad. Um, after like the sixth or seventh attempt, he would lose his sense of humor and he'd be like, "Come." on. That's it. You've had enough now. You've had enough. I've got a, he was working in a in a factory for Ford in Liverpool at the time. And he's like, I've got to be up for work tomorrow. Like we've got an hour and a half drive back home. Like, you've you've got to get off the water now, and you'd get serious. And I would, I would know I would have to I would have to do as he said when I'd see this this vein in his forehead start pulsing. I was like, uh oh, there it is. That's my cue. <laughs> and I'd get off the water. But I would have had a brilliant day out on there for like eight hours, having a having an amazing time. And he was trying to kayak a little bit then as well, so he'd be on there for for a little bit with me and other than that i'd just be set loose (laughs) on the Milan mill site and just having an amazing time trying to figure it out there were three no there were four play spots on that section of river all really friendly, all really safe, and the only downside is that they weren't very deep. So they in the summer months, it's maybe a few inches deep. So you're not gonna get a six-foot freestyle kayak vertical there. And I always dreamt of doing a front flip in my kayak. It's called a front loop. It was invented by Clay Wright way back in the day. I can't even imagine how many years ago now. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask him, and hopefully we can get Clay on this podcast because he's like an encyclopedia of kayak history, and he's a big part of kayak history himself anyway he invented a trick when he was young called a front loop and it for me is the coolest looking trick when you're starting to kayak you know like i had my mind blown by a kayak being vertical let alone the kayak being aerial and doing a full front flip rotation it was my number one dream to hit this trick and there was a spot um about a, a about 45 minutes away from Myland mill called the to and i always wanted to go there but the the adults that i was kayaking with not the river crew they went there all the time but because they had this reputation of being a little bit gnarly um the the older the other kayakers that the other older kayakers that i was with at the time were like no no you can't go there yet you're not good enough blah 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 and uh eventually we went there and i was i was totally comfortable out there and then you know like the other people that I was kayaking with were were struggling and and swimming and the Chwerin's a really cool spot because it's got some gradient on it. It's like good class free kayaking and it's damn released so you can be sure there's water but it is shallow and it is fast and if you swim there then you're gonna go (laughs) then you're gonna take some bumps and bruises along your way. So you want to be able to roll pretty well ideally. And uh, because I'd spent so much time freestyling at this point, the roll was just second nature. You know, you spend you spend basically two years falling on your head trying to get your kayak vertical, the one thing you'll be good at is rolling. So I could do that just fine. And anyway, they have a freestyle spot at the top of the cho- at the top of the chwerin. Um it's, I think it's actually just called top hole, although other people call it worlds Hole because one year way back in the day they were talking about having a world championships there they never had it but um, anyway this is one of the few spots where you can get the kayak vertical and to potentially do a front loop and I remember I think I tried maybe 11 or 12 times And then I felt something happen and I was pretty sure that that was it, but it all happened so quickly that I couldn't be sure whether I'd done my first front loop or not. And then I look around and the river crew were there at the time and they were like, dude, that was sick. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that was real. And it just happened. And there wasn't very much air on it by any means. And I flushed out of the hole, but I got the loop around and it was the coolest feeling to me ever. And... That was really when I was just hooked on freestyle and I became obsessed with it. And I would go, you know, I sort of had my horizons broadened there because all of a sudden I was allowed to kayak on the Tuerin and I could go there. And there were some really good kayakers around there at the time, like um, Matt Cook, Jason Fox, Chris Vitz, Ben Brunning, Rick Foster. These were all guys that were really good at kayaking and freestyle. And I got to kayak with them and it was it was it was really cool they're all so friendly and dead nice and constantly giving me tips and helping me out and matt cook especially was always challenging me there's a few moves on the maturing where if you get them wrong you might get pinned on a rock which is you know where you get stuck sideways against the rock and again with the force of water going against you and it, it's a scary thing no matter how old you are um And I was intimidated by a lot of those moves where that might happen, but Cookie was always pushing me to try them and uh, really like helping me progress as a kayaker by basically scaring me. (laughs) And I learned learned a bunch hanging out on the Maturin, but it got to a point where I felt like I had um, done what I could do freestyle-wise there, you know? Like the top hole was good and it was deep, but it's quite flushy for trying to learn combos and stuff. And I dreamt of going to Nottingham um and paddling at the national water sports there because i'd seen videos of it and they had this one hole called the inlet gate which is basically a walled in uniform stopper that's as deep as you like and it looks like you it looked like you could just do any trick possible there um so i had big plans to go there in the summer months and kayak there but before i got round to that there was piranha fest at the chwerin and i went and I wasn't really into competing ever like I'm not a competitive person with other people with myself it's not like a it's not like I'm competitive with myself but I hold myself to a high standard and there's certain ways I like to do things both in life and on the water in a kayak and I'm not really competing with myself but I'm I'm putting pressure on myself to to do things a certain way and in the in the best way possible you know and anyway I wasn't really into the thought of competing but my dad um was telling me was asking me to and was saying that I should and there was a bit of pressure from him and anyway I went and I competed there age 14 at Prana Fest and I won the I won the men's event cuz they didn't have a junior class and I won the I won the men's event and everyone was super nice to me and it was cool cuz it was a jam session it wasn't like a full on 45 second serious freestyle ride it was um, just a jam session. And so it was all about a like, variety of tricks and what you were hitting and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I narrowly beat the the guy who came second, which I think was Richard Brooks. But anyway, I was, I was a kid. I was 14. And then from there, like Prana and the manager at the time, Tim, were like, damn, like this is our kid. Like this is who we want in our kayaks. They offered me a sponsorship deal there on the spot. The freestyle kayak at the time, the Rev, was honestly not good and way too big for me. Even the small one was way too big. So as sad as it was, I couldn't take that sponsorship deal because the the kayak wasn't for me. And that I think is an important note to share with any young kayakers because I see a lot of young kayakers wanting to be sponsored. And they can't really tell me why they want to be sponsored or what they want from their sponsorship. They just want to be sponsored. And... I guess it's like a status and ego thing in the nicest possible way. Not saying that those are not bad things or good things, but like, you know, when you're a kid, having having someone believe in you is really, really important. And I think sponsorship gives kids that validation that they're good at something and that they're going somewhere. And I think that's why a lot of kids want it. But the most important thing if you're pursuing sponsorship is to never... take a a deal with a company whose equipment that you don't want to use. You know, you only want to be sponsored by companies where the equipment is the best equipment for you. And that's the stuff that you want to use. If you're using different things than than your top choice, then I don't think your heart is in the right place for, and I don't think it's a, a way to be happy or satisfied with your sponsorship and your relationship with that company. And more importantly your most valuable pieces of equipment in kayaking are your tools for your job of going down the river. And nobody wants to use bad tools at the job they love, you know? Um So yeah, that's what I would say to the kids or anyone trying to be sponsored is only go for it if it's with a company that you want to work with and you believe in the products and the team behind them. Um, But anyway, I kept in touch with Piranha and eventually they came out with a new freestyle kayak called the Molan. And this one was actually a pretty good size for me. And at the time, it was the kayak that I wanted to use because it was narrower and a bit more aggressive. The other freestyle kayaks at the time were wider and softer. And although maybe they had better volume distribution, a couple of other good points, I, I liked how that Molan felt. And I remember Tim, the um, the marketing manager at the time brought one down for me and I could try it and I felt incredibly lucky and and special to be like this 14, 15 year old kid um, in this prototype kayak and just, you know, just it, it, he gave it to me, other people wanted to try it and, and he was like, no, no, Bren's in that, he's, he's having a time in that thing and he's like, that's the best thing that anyone can see right now is that kayak flying around and see this huge grin on this kid's face as he uses it. So anyway, I got sponsored by Piranha. I went to Nottingham and it was there's so much more volume at the Nottingham Park than almost any other park in the world. And it feels like you're paddling on a flooded river when you're, when you're not used to it. And I went there and it took me a while to adapt to that style of water and get comfortable there because it was so much more powerful than what I had been kayaking on at the time. And I fell in love with that park because there were no limitations in what I could do you know like and I, I very rarely hit the bottom I very rarely flushed out of a feature unless I made a mistake and I, I could really just dial in all of the freestyle tricks and I spent a summer living on the campsite there with some other young kayakers and having the best time ever you know like kayaking every day at that park with my friends it was a dream come true for me and, you know, we had an amazing time on that campsite kayaking and and hanging out. And eventually we did a little bit too much hanging out on the campsite and we got kicked off the campsite, which was super awkward because that's like the only one around the Whitewater Park in Nottingham. You know, the rest of it is just a, a city. And thank God we were saved by a local kayaker called Matt Chadder and that is a really, really good dude. He's a kayaker through and through. He's also a businessman. And uh, anyway, thankfully, he had some space in his garden at his house. And he, he looked after us and he actually went to the campsite and was like, come on, like, these are just kids. Like, yeah, they made a bit of noise and they were they're were a little bit cheeky, but like they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't break anything like, come on like give him another chance. And so he resolved that issue and we could go back to the campsite Um, thankfully, and life resumed. And I was on the campsite and kayaking a bunch with my friends and then they all left to go back to school. And I desperately didn't want to go. And I tried to stay and stay, but eventually school phoned my mom and she came and picked me up and took me back to Warrington and I went back to school and went to another freestyle competition and i met my friend rob harris who is a really important person in my life and uh we'll we'll talk more about rob and and uh, the effect he had on me and the opportunity he gave me um later but for for now i had to i had to finish school and i made it about halfway through the final year of school and it was just getting so gnarly. You know, like, the kids were so mean to me. There was so much fighting and scrapping with, like, kids from other schools and stuff. And, like, my parents' relationship was completely... um, Um, I want to use the word dissolving but it's not like that it was like it was like (laughs) it was like it was exploding just constantly drama all the time both in school and at home and I was going to boxing class five times a week and I was strength training five times a week basically to be able to protect my mum when my dad was attacking her and it was really really gnarly times and I just dreamt of getting away from this situation and there was so much going on in my mum's life at the time, as her and my dad were separating, that I could get away with a lot. And she always believed the best in me, and as I think any parent does. And uh, I told a lie to my mum, and I was like, "Mum, you won't believe it. School said that I'm so smart, I can basically study at home until my exams in a few months' time." And she was like, "Oh well, you always were a smart." smart young kid you know you're dead good at jigsaws when you're younger and she just swallowed that lie easily with all the chaos and drama going on around her and so there I was basically away from school in the lead up to my exams and the the truth was that I had basically been kicked out of school for being disruptive and whatever and acting up and all I had to do to keep school happy was to occasionally check in and show them that I've been doing some of my coursework in the lead up to my exams. And in between then, I was just free to go kayaking. And I was kayaking a bunch with two brothers from the Wirral, which is like one of the cities or towns next to mine. They're called Lou and Elliot McGee. Lou was older and he could drive. Elliot was a little bit older than me. And we would ride around in Lou, Lou's Ford Focus and just go kayaking and camping and just having the time and uh there's a bit of um tension between ourselves and the other kids that were into freestyle at the time because they were all from the south and we were all from the north and there's stereotypes about the north and the south of the UK and and <laughs> yeah there was a little bit of tension and a lot of banter but me me Lou and Elliot were always getting out and going kayaking together and we were going to competitions and and doing all of that stuff and we were a good little crew and I was trying to get them to go to Uganda, which at the time was one of the meccas for kayaking. Um, before the, the series of dams got put in and flooded the river, it was like the place to go. And I always dreamt of going there. And Lou and Elliot were talking about it and we had plans to go in a few years time and stuff when I'd finished school and Elliot had finished his B tech in whatever he was studying. And, and when Lou had done something at his job, we had plans to go in a few years time, but then they announced that they were building that dam and that it was going to be completed on the Silverback section and that those legendary rapids that I had grown up watching and and you know like those videos were so important to me when I was a kid and and home life was gnarly I would just lose myself in books and kayaking videos and I watched so many videos of the White Nile and being a freestyler and You know, it's one thing to be able to do tricks in halls and stuff like that, but it's another thing to do tricks on waves. And I always dreamt of going to those big waves on the Nile. And when that dam got announced and with all the drama going on at home, I was 15 or 16 years old and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm out of here. Like I'm going to, I'm going to kayak those rapids before they're gone forever. And I'm going to get away from Warrington. And yeah, I, I, yeah, this was just a gnarly time. I have been jumped and beaten up real bad and by some other people I've been scrapping with over the years. And and anyway, it was just my time to go. Because I was sponsored by Piranha, I could sell the other kayaks that I had. I had two kayaks, which was that Piranha s 6 f that was too big for me. And I had that Jackson Star. So I sold those kayaks and bought my ticket to Uganda. At the time, I didn't have my own debit or credit card, so I had to convince my nan to let me use hers. And I told her another lie that I was going to buy a coat online. And my, like, me and my nan get along so well. We're basically best friends. That's where I would always go to her house with my mum and dad's drama. We'd hang out, and she's dead funny, and she's proper tough, and, and she's been an amazing role model for me over the years. And I always loved hanging out with her. So we we're friends, you know, and, uh, like, like it's, it's something different, I think, to like what a lot of other people have with their grandparents. And anyway, my nan was like, oh yeah, you should definitely get a good coat, you know, like winter's coming up. It'd be good for you to keep yourself warm. And I had the money in an envelope and I used her credit card to book my flight to Uganda and I left her the envelope of money. And then that was it. Whoosh! I was out to Uganda And again, it's only really because of all the drama between my parents that I think my (laughs) mum let me go and that. And I had spent like six months, you know, like telling her like, I'm I'm going, I am doing this. And I was so sure of myself all the way up until I got off the plane in Kampala, Uganda, and I step outside of the airport and there's just noise and chaos and different smells than I'd ever experienced before. And all of a sudden I was like, whew. This might have been a mistake this might have been a bit too much here but the beautiful thing about uganda is that the people there are really friendly and really nice and especially the taxi drivers when they want your business so you know i'd come from warrington where if you smiled at someone the standard response to get back was what are you laughing at do you want some <laughs> you know you, you did you didn't want to smile at the wrong person in warrington walking down the street so for myself, I'm like a very smiley, happy, bubbly person. I had to, I had to hide, hide that for years, so I wouldn't get myself into mischief. And I, I was, I was always, um, I was always smiling at the wrong person, and then think, think, yeah, stuff was always happening. But in Uganda, people smile very quickly and very easily, and especially the taxi drivers when they want your business. And I remember this one taxi driver was like yes, my friend, let's go. Where are you going to? I will take you. I'm the number one driver here. Like no problem with me. Safest, fastest, best, cheapest, everything, you know? And I was like, all right. He did just say he's the best, safest, fastest driver in all of Uganda. Let's go. And uh, I get in the car and he's like, okay, cool. Where are we going? And I was like, um to the rapids of the white nile i think it's near ginger in uganda and um the place i'm trying to get to is called the hairy lemon island and this driver it, they make this noise in uganda this like eh! We're, eh! <laughs> when they're confused and he was like eh! i don't know this place and I was, I was, he's like, I don't know if I can take you. And I was like, no, no, it's all right, man. We'll just we'll just drive towards Ginger and then I'm sure it'll be signposted, you know, me thinking that everyone cared this much about the rapids and the, and the location and that it would just be easy to find. It was pitch black. We did this drive for what felt like an eternity and I wasn't sure whether I'd actually got in the car with a good person or not. So I had like my fists clenched the whole time ready to fight him if if like he turned out not to be a good person he actually was super nice dude managed to find the hairy lemon island through like stopping and asking people along the way and and dealing with a, a 16-year-old english kids like mumblings about where he wanted to go And he found the place and we got there late at night and you had to ring a gong to get them to send a boat over to you. And they used to say that they wouldn't um, send the boat over at night because they didn't want anyone falling out or anything happening. And anyway, we rang this gong and I didn't know if anyone was going to come. And then out of the darkness, I can hear like a paddle stroke in the water. And I see this boat coming across through the darkness and The person that jumps out of the boat is none other than Jason Fox, who is one of the people that I'd grown up kayaking on the truerium with. And I hadn't seen him for like a year or two because he had been traveling and kayaking and he got out that boat and I was like, I was like, oh my God, how is this possible? And he was like, hey, dude, I'm sort of looking after the bar here. I saw on the reservations that you were coming and uh, yeah, I'm stoked to see you again. Stoked that you're here. And... Loaded up into that little wooden canoe thing that he was rowing over to me and stepped foot on the hairy lemon islands and yeah that was that was the beginning of me understanding how much depth there is to this sport. Jason basically took me under his wing and we hung out on that beautiful island, and we went surfing every day at the waves on the other side of the island and It was honestly insane to have gone from um, struggling to deal with the power of Nottingham to feeling comfortable on Nottingham to then coming out to the White Nile and just once again, like having to readjust to the power of the water and getting comfortable out there. And I crashed and burned a lot in on those waves and especially now special because you you had to use a tow rope to get out of there which is quite hard to do um and it takes a little bit of time to figure it out and learn it and yeah, I basically would grab the throw rope, start trying to toe onto the wave, catch my edge and flip, and then not have hold of my paddle with both hands and be struggling to roll in, in this wave train, which had the biggest waves I'd ever seen of my life. And then trying to paddle to the side and deal with the eddy line and the whirlpools, and then plucking up the courage to try again. And uh, eventually I figured it out and I was surfing the waves and I was pretty confident and you could go out and surf those waves because there are always other kayakers there at those waves, you know, whether you were friends or you knew anyone or not, there's always kayakers out there looking after each other, which is a beautiful part of this sport. And the White Nile has so many more rapids than, um, than just this wave train, or it did used to have. And there was a day one section, and there was a day two section. And the day two section had a really big rapid on it called Itunda. And I had no intentions to kayak down this rapid necessarily. I more cared about the freestyle spots and the rapids on the day one section that were about to be dammed and flooded. But there were two English kayakers, Matty Nicholas and Adam Ramadan, that were there. And they told me they were going up the river to run the day two section and that I could come with, I could come with them if I wanted to. And I was like, oh my, like, yes, of course I want to come kayaking with you guys. Um And... We went up there on the back of a motorbike called a Boda Boda we had two mo- two bikes um or fr- no, we had three bikes. Two of them had mine and Adam's kayak strapped to it, and the other one had me and Adam on it. Uh, Adam's been a really good friend to me for years, but he's um, he was looking after me from early, di- early doors when I was a kid, um, and he wanted to be on the bike and make sure that we didn't fall off it and stuff like that, or that we didn't get lost or a bunch of stuff. And then Matty was riding with his kayak on him, um, on the other bike, we went up to the Itunda Rapid, which I believe means death in the local language, and got there. And I saw the line. I felt good. And Matt and Adam were like, "Do you want to do it, Bren?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And they were like, "All right, cool. Then, uh, then yeah, you can, <laughs> you can follow us down it." And I followed them down it and was basically upside down for the top of the rapid until the middle. And then I managed to roll up and make the line around this huge water. And it was an amazing feeling. That's where I think I had one of the biggest adrenaline rushes in my life. I've talked about this with people before of like, I feel like I don't know whether I'm getting numb to adrenaline or... My personal theory is that you get the biggest rushes when you're not sure something's going to work out. And that was how it really felt to me there. I wasn't sure whether I was going to get to the bottom in my kayak or whether I was going to have to swim this gnarly rapid, but I did. And I got this amazing rush and I loved it. And then we kayaked down the rest of the river and it was just amazing. Such good times. Went up to the day one section, kayaked those rapids that would soon be gone forever because the dam was flooding it. They were enormous. There was one rapid in particular silverback which is just a kayaker's dream i don't know i used to play tony hawk pro skater when i was a kid and there was a a thing in there where you could design your own skate park i don't know if you could design a more fun rapid on a river than silverback it was a huge massive ramp down into some of the biggest waves that you've ever seen and it was just amazing all sorts of magic and chaos and bedlam would happen when you drop in there with a group of kayakers some people would be aerial some people would be underwater some people would be sideways backwards upside down all of that stuff it was amazing and that trip really reinforced to me that this is what i wanted to do i was like this is where i belong i belong on the river with my friends," and that's what i'm going to do and i'm going to find a way to do it i went back home to the uk and i was struggling to find work and rob harris um, got me a job working at the London Boat Show. His wife, Haley was organizing it and they had this big swimming pool there and they wanted something to fill the day and to, to be fun to watch. And so Rob basically choreographed an entire kayaking show and we had like a Grinch winch to tow us along the water, some ramps to hit, and then we would do like a flat water freestyle routine alongside that and it was an amazing time it was myself and a bunch of other really good kayakers James Bebbington of note who was also from Warrington but from the nice side of town and he actually became world champion as well so he was always a hero for me not because he was world champion but because he did the sickest nicest combos at Nottingham they were just beautiful to watch and uh, anyway we did this this boat show and Performed twice a day every day and it was amazing and we got paid really really well and from that money then I basically had the funds for my next plane ticket to go back out to Uganda and I did just that as soon as I could went for even longer this time I was out there for like three months and um, caught malaria all of that gnarly stuff all that fun stuff That was my first experience with malaria came back again and was just focused on kayaking i moved up to nottingham um on the campsite when i ran out of money then i was staying in the boat store where people used to pay to keep their kayaks and just by me being around there all the time um paul shepherd who used to run the park at the time was like dude do you want do you want a job do you want to like dip some wetsuits answer some phones um sign some people in and and we'll pay you and uh, oh by the way you also get a free season pass to kayak here and i was like. Pff. That sounds like the best deal ever. And it was a really good job. I was hanging out with, with Paul Shep, hearing stories about kayaking from years ago and kayaking history, and it was it was really good times. And the job was chill. Like I could I could kayak before work. I could kayak on my lunch break for forty minutes, and then I could kayak after work. And I spent a lot of time progressing and dialing in combos. And the job was super chill. And I had a bunch of time to just think about the way a kayak moved and to invent new tricks and. I started filming those more and more and putting out edits and one video in particular went pretty big. It was called Nottingham Innovations and it's, it's only it's on my old Vimeo channel. It's not even on YouTube. I should re-upload it at some point. That was my first go with properly like editing a video and putting a story in there and like, um, yeah, making like a good freestyle video of Nottingham. That video went pretty big and a few people saw it and, Again, at this point, I was just working to save up money to go kayaking. So I had two jobs. I was working at the Whitewater Park for Paul Shep. And again, Matt Chatter had just moved into a new house and he had a pretty big garden and he was looking for someone to sweep up the leaves and cut the grass and do all this stuff. And he actually let me camp in his garden as well. So I was there with like a 30 quid decathlon tent. I, I don't know if anyone's... If any, I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast from the UK knows what I'm talking about. These tents were sick, <laughs> like a pop-up dual layer tent. And uh, it was, I think a lot of people used them for festivals. But for me, it was an ideal um, living situation in Nottingham. And so I was living in Matt's garden, working, doing some groundskeeping for him to earn a bit of money, working at the Whitewater Park, saving up money to go to Uganda. Went back out there and was in love with the place and was very happy to be there, but I was also like, okay, what's next? How do I take, how do I make this next step and kayak on more difficult, harder rivers, you know, and to see the, see other parts of the world. And I didn't know how I was gonna do it. And I just got lost in Uganda life where every single day is sunny and good times are had on the river and there's great people to hang out with. And I was slowly running out of money and about to take my flight back to the UK and at the time I was living in a mud hut in the local village rather than the Hairy Lemon Island or the other tourist places that cost a lot of money. Living in the mud hut, I think I was paying like 10 pounds a week for my rent. And, uh, that was actually a, that was an amount that the locals were stoked on and I was stoked on and yeah, it's just the way it works there. Um, unfortunately, if I went back now, I'd definitely pay more cause it was a beautiful mud hut and everyone was really nice to me in that village. Um anyway, I was struggling to figure out how to take the next step. I went up to the local town where they had Wi-Fi and I could check my emails and in my inbox was mostly a bunch of spam, nothing interesting. One or two emails from Piranha about new kayaks, and then there was an email in there from Dave Fasilli, who was always who has always been one of my kayaking heroes. He's got this incredibly laid-back style and he's good at every single type of kayaking, which is what I always wanted to emulate you know I wanted to make it look like I wasn't even trying while I was doing difficult things and I wanted to be good at every single side of the sport and Dave did that and on top of that he made these videos with this cool music and he had his own crew called the Demshits and he was just the guy to me and he also paddled piranha kayaks and I had this email from him in my inbox, and it was like, "Hey, ball, saw your saw your video, Nottingham Innovations, and I think it was rad. And I've I've not seen combos like that before. And I would be stoked if you wanted to come out and join us on the pro tour next summer." And I couldn't believe that this email was real. I checked the email address like seven times, and it looked suspicious to me because it was like dfacilli dem shits at aol.com or something like that you know and now that i know dave i know that that's the right email address but i was i was expecting maybe like you know dfacilli at Piranha.com or like something more more official um but we set up i couldn't believe that i got this email and this invite and basically was was yeah. crying and and so happy and just couldn't believe that it was real and I called Dave, we had a Skype call, we made a plan and to go out there next summer. I went back to work, um, this time for Rob Harris down in London, I had an amazing time working for Rob. We were groundskeeping uh, and landscape gardening and building and Rob would work so hard and he would work even harder if a weather forecast was good for the weekend. So he would constantly be like, all right, Bren, we get our heads down, we're going to work Monday to Thursday. And then Friday, that's it. We're going to Dartmoor for the weekend. And so we'd graft really hard Monday to Thursday. We'd take Friday off and we'd go kayaking. Me, me, Rob Harris, and um, another kayaker slash worker for Rob called Pikey, Chris Buxey, who despite the nickname of Pikey is actually a really gentle, delicate soul. Um, and anyway, we would go, we'd go to Dartmoor. We'd have these amazing times. And that was my life that winter, all the way up leading up to the summer. And I was super grateful for Rob to allow me to live at his house with his wife and to go kayaking and to, to earn some money. And it was a real blessing for me at that time. So I saved up some money, got on the flight to go to America. Me and Dave hadn't talked since that initial Skype call like eight months, eight months previously. And I get off the plane and he's not there at the airport. And I, I knew that this might happen, but I wasn't I wasn't confident enough to to call Dave and, and to remind him that I was coming and to set things up because I was so afraid of him changing his mind and and telling me, like, actually, dude, I don't I don't know if you should come and whatever. I was like, I was like, I'm not I don't want to be told no on the phone, you know, like I. I it's hard, for some, it's hard for anyone to say no to you when you've flown across the world where you compl- you're broke as a joke and you're at the airport waiting to go on this trip they invited you on. So I was in the airport, didn't know how to contact Dave. Another kayaker, Adrian Levkinet, got in touch with him for me. And she was like, dude, Bren's at the airport. And Dave apparently was like, shit, was that today? <laughs> he had been doing another river with the Demshits crew. And he was like, okay, okay, give me his number. And he calls me and he's like, ball, I completely forgot that I was meant to pick you up from the airport. And I was like, oh no, he's going to tell me that I should just go home. And uh, there's like this, this silence. And he's like, anyway, he's like, we just got off the river and I'll be with you in about six hours. And I was like, oh my God, it's real. It's happening. So I sit at the airport for six hours, Demshits show up and, They get out the van. My kayaking heroes in this infamous um, piranha van with with, Dave called it Orange Bitch, which was named after his childhood goldfish or the uh, the goldfish he had in college. (laughs) But it's just this infamous van, and they get out of it, and everyone's so nice and so accepting to me, and that's it. We're just on the road, you know, like. Like living my dream, kayaking with my kayaking heroes in this infamous tall van, and we're driving around America, going to all the competitions on the weekend, doing dealer visits in the week, and and trying to go creaking in between that. And I'd never been in a creek boat really um, at this point, and I really didn't know what I was doing, and the adjustment from a from a twelve kilogram carbon freestyle kayak to a twenty three kilogram creek boat is pretty pretty drastic and i didn't really know how to boof i just knew that occasionally if i paddled really hard at 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 a hole sometimes the nose of a kayak would stay up that was basically all I knew nothing about timing or anything and I was just in this like baptism of fire and crash course in how to go creek boating from the Demshits crew and especially because we were in Colorado at the time and the altitude I was just out of breath all the time both from the altitude and just getting trashed the whole way down and although I would crash and burn and get stuck in a lot of holes because i could freestyle a lot i'd normally surf out of everything even though even though like other people if they got stuck in those holes would swim so again freestyle gives you a really good base for a lot of other types of kayaking and anyway we, we're we creaking around colorado and we're running some some big rapids and some slides and stuff but we hadn't gone down a waterfall and then the competition tour finishes and we finally get chance to go off and go creek boat in and and to to explore more and we went we went further west, um we went to the Olympic Peninsula and Dave had wanted to kayak this waterfall called Hammer. Hammer but when he was there previously he had been hurt and he hadn't been able to go off it so it was something that he wanted to do and we get there and it's this beautiful blue crystal clear water absolutely amazing beautiful waterfall and it's a it's a double sequence so it's a 20 footer into a 60 footer and there's this cave and pocket on the left which is the main cause for concern and we looked at it the rest of the crew said that they didn't want to do it because it was high water high water and they were scared of the cave and at this point I've been doing such a good job of of just following and sticking behind Dave and copying what he was doing that I was starting to to figure things out on the river. I was starting to get better with my timing and only paddling when I needed to to paddle and I was feeling good and confident but in reality I was so so far behind Dave Fasilli. of of course I was you know I was just a kid and he's this kayaking legend but he said he was keen to go and he was like what do you think ball do you want to go as well and i was like dude i i I do i do i I think i've got it and he was like yeah i I've, I've, i think you've got it i think you can do it as well he's like you just need to go right on that first waterfall and stay away from that cave you know as long as you can do that you promise me you can do that then yeah let's go man and i was like i can do that and we drop into it. I'm following Dave. He goes over the lip, completely composed, perfectly, waiting to take this late sweeping lefty booth stroke. And he does that perfectly. And he lands into that right eddy um, on the right hand side of the river, away from the cave on the left. And I come down it. And because I'm scared, I've forgotten all about like my timing and my pace on the river and waiting for the right moment for those keystrokes and i'm just paddling as hard as i can at this 20 foot drop and i fly off it don't manage to turn my nose to the right and i go into the cave on the left and i had never been pushed up against the wall before i never figured out how to deal with it or to be in that situation and to have the experience to deal with it and i was flipped like almost all the way upside down i couldn't breathe I was panicking and because I couldn't get my head above water, I pulled my spray deck, which is the worst thing you could have done in that situation. A more experienced kayaker would have been able to fight their way off that wall and get away from it and to, to get, get out of that cave. But I was just too young and too inexperienced and I panicked and I pulled my spray deck with the thought that like, holy shit, I'm going to be swept off this 60 foot waterfall and I might die today. And I popped up and I wasn't swept over the waterfall and I grabbed the, this, this, like this piece of rock on the, on the cave. It was like a big jug to hold onto. Thank goodness. My legs were being pulled underneath the undercut of the, of the cave. And I knew that if I let go of that rock, I would get pulled over the waterfall. And I don't know what to do in that situation i i i had no thoughts of what would happen next i was just in a panic i was like oh my god this is it this is this is the end and some more scary moments go by and then i hear dave yelling at me from a side from across the river and he's somehow managed to get out on this crazy slippery tiny rock you know at a lot of risk to himself because if he slipped in he would have also gone off the waterfall but he's, he's there on the rock. He's done this like crazy maneuver to clip his cowtail, which is like a piece of webbing with a carabiner on it to his kayak. And that's anchoring him off. And he's yelling at me to look at him. And I look away from the side of the cave and I see him there and he stood there with the throw line. And he's like, he's counting down. He's like, three, two, one. And he throws the throw line, makes this insane throw across the river. It hits me perfectly. But I'm too afraid to let go of the cave to grab the rope because I know that if I let go of the cave I might get swept over the waterfall and I really thought that if that happened I would die and the rope hits me perfectly it's over my shoulder all I have to do is take my hands off the cave off off the rock of the cave and grab it and but it was so hard for me to do that and I could feel the rope being pulled downstream and that it was slipping off my shoulder and eventually I'd take a deep breath and I grab that rope And then I grab the rope in my hand and I go straight back to holding onto that rock in the cave to not be swept downstream. And I hear Dave shouting at me to let go of the rock and to hold onto the rope. And I take a deep breath and let go of the rock, of my little piece of safety or so I thought. And I'm holding onto the rope as hard as I possibly can. It's it's like a tight, narrow nylon rope it's cutting into my hands so bad and Dave is pulling me in as hard as he possibly can there's like a the water's flowing over my head because he's pulling me across and upstream so hard and I can feel my legs basically on the edge of a waterfall almost going over it and I don't think that I didn't think that Dave was going to be strong enough to pull me in um, all the way to the other side and to safety and I thought that I might still get swept over the waterfall. But right at that point when I thought it was going to happen, the, the rope just gets pulled harder and Dave just goes into beast mode and manages to pull me upstream against the flow of the current and into, into the rocks where he was stirred and, and to safety. And, you know, in the space of about three, four, five minutes, I'd gone from, I, you know, like I'm going to kayak off a waterfall with my hero, my hero in the sport to, Oh my God, I'm not going to kayak off a waterfall and I might die to Holy shit. I'm alive. I'm okay. And it was a crazy, um, wave of emotions for an 18 year old kid from Warrington to go through. And Dave, is talking to the rest of the team and shouting and signaling. And my kayak that I was in had gone over the waterfall, but it was stuck at the bottom in the recirculation recirculation at the uh, of the hole at the bottom of the waterfall. It was just doing rounds at the bottom of it, which is really scary to think about because if I'd gone off the waterfall, I might also have got stuck in that pocket and just been going round and round. Um, and yeah, would have been a horrible situation to be in. Thankfully, I wasn't because Dave Fasilli is a fucking hero. And anyway, he was calling out to the team and asking them to tell him when the kayak was out of the way. I watched him get in his kayak and I was like, dude, are you going to kayak off this waterfall? And he was like, yeah, ball, that's what I'm here to do. And he peels out and I'm like, wait, 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 what happens to me? And he's like, he's like, I'll be back. (laughs) And he kayaks off this waterfall, Um, sticks the line perfectly rescues the kayak that's getting stuck at the bottom and then about an hour later him and the Demshit's crew come and drop a rope down to me and I'm absolutely freezing at this point I wasn't wearing a dry suit the water was snow melt and David told me to wear a dry suit but I told him that we were only going kayaking for two or three minutes (laughs) and that I would wear my shorts like an idiot. For any younger kayakers listening here, when it comes to layering and equipment choices, just listen to the older kayakers and the locals. And it's always better to be warm and protected from the water than it is to be comfortable um, and, and athletic and all of that stuff. It's way, be- way more important to dress for the water than, than the ideal situation. Anyway, they lower this fro rope down to me and pull me out of there out of this cave and it was an incredible feeling to finally be out of this in between like purgatory in between the two waterfalls and to be up on the cliff and up on dry land and everyone's hugging me and making sure i'm okay and i i honestly just passed out um that like i didn't even eat food those boys were cooking dinner drinking beers talking about things and i i just got in my sleeping bag and fell asleep on the ground right there and then. And I woke up and I knew that I wanted to do the waterfall again. I knew I wanted to try again. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't let that be how it was gonna be. You know, like I I dreamed of kayaking off waterfalls and I dreamed of kayaking with the Demshits crew and I, I I didn't want that to be how it went. Um, but we had to go and do a dealer visit for Pirana. And talk to some shops and get them stoked on kayaks. So we went and did that. And the whole way there, I was just talking to Dave about what I did wrong and how I could do it better. And just, you know, it was probably a seven or eight hour road trip to get to this next store. And the whole way there, I'm just talking to him and processing it and how to do things. And this goes on for like two or three, four days. And he's like, dude, you really want to try again? Like, you really want to try again? We'll drive back there. You can try again. And I was like, Yes, I want this, like, please. And he was like, all right, here we go. And I remember he flips the Pranavan around really aggressively. And we just start driving the opposite way to where we're meant to be going. And we get there. And I was so sure of myself that it was it was what I wanted. And I was sure of it the whole way there in my car. But when I got there in person and I saw the surroundings and I heard the water and I saw the first waterfall, like, God. I just wanted to throw up. I was so afraid. All those feelings and emotions came rushing back to me, and I, I, I like my legs were shaking. I wanted to throw up. I could feel how dry my mouth was, but I had just made Demshet turn around and do like a do like a twelve-hour rally um, for me to get to this waterfall. So there was no way that I was backing out and being a sissy. And more importantly, like I have this. Way of doing things that I hold myself to, and i'd rather I'd always rather try and crash and burn and to know than to not know, and so I just had to try again and I geared up, I wore my dry suit this time, Dave gave me a few tips, the rest of the team told me good luck, and I got into my kayak, scared as hell, took some deep breaths, splashed some water on my face, and I waited until it felt right i didn't rush it I spent maybe a minute or two up at the top until I just had the feeling that it was the time to go and then I peel out into the main flow I remember what Dave's told me I don't just windmill windmill my way down it I wait for my stroke and I hit the line pretty pretty well off that first waterfall not nearly as well as Dave but I hit the line and I end up on the right hand side of the river and I'm safe from that cave and i look across to it and all those memories come flooding back to me of of being stuck in there and all the horrible thoughts going through my head and i know that that's not going to happen because i'm on the other side of the river and that i can just enjoy the feeling of going off my first big waterfall and I, I, Dave was up on the cliff videoing me. He's cheering for me. He's so happy that I stuck the line off that first waterfall. And then I remember him telling me, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And I do just that. I peel out. When you're dropping into a big waterfall, time slows down. You become hyper aware of what's in front of you and everything else disappears. And I remember time slowing down, seeing the way the water was rolling off the lip, like it was just beautiful. And I'd go over the edge. I've got no idea what to do other than to react. I don't really, nothing really goes through my mind until about halfway down where David told me to make sure that I throw my paddle and that I tuck. I throw my paddle and tuck, And I remember I came. I resurfaced really quickly and I resurfaced upright and it was the most amazing feeling ever. If you know going down i tundra was a big adrenaline rush it was nothing compared to this one like I, I like all the relief all the feelings all the the amazement of what it was to finally kayak off a waterfall and and yeah it was a real beautiful moment and something that stuck with me forever. I think that that incident on that on that waterfall was a real deciding moment in my in my career in this sport and the way I do things i think that it would have been easy and perhaps more logical for me to back away and shy away and take things more conservatively but it's not in my nature because of where i'm from to back down and i was i i would always just want to work hard and do things the best i can and and that was that was what led me to try again and to to want to do it and you know i love the sport and i love kayaking and the connection to water and yeah like i say this was a real turning point and deciding factor in my career and after that going through that and dealing with those mental battles i was equipped to deal with dropping into big rapids you know like i i feel like i feel like there's lots and lots of talented kayakers out there and there's lots of lots of talented kayakers that are that are struggling with head games and demons and stuff like that. And there's a few people that manage to figure it out. And whether they figure it out or they they learn from previous experiences or however they manage to do it, they operate on a on a different on a different level of head game. And they are able to suppress their emotions and divert their attention in exactly the right way that it needs to be. Um, diverted and controlled and pushed and i feel like this waterfall and that experience allowed me to do that and anyway that was a real turning point for me i finished the tour with dem shits i had no money to buy my flight home i was working for dave Fasilli's parents who own a graveyard and it was one of the my favorite jobs ever we would just go dig a big hole in the ground, big, hard physical day of labor, and then we'd hang out and hopefully go kayaking or talk about kayaking stories afterwards. And I hung out at, the, at Dave's parents' house and saved up money and bought my flight home. And I went back on tour with Dave two two years, three years in a row, learned so much from him about life, kayaking, cameras everything like he's there's been lots of good role models in me in, in my life but Dave silly has been one of the most important to me for sure and anyway because of the lessons that Demshit's taught me I start feeling more confident I start trying to go to different locations they weren't really doing that much outside of the USA because it's such a big country and there's so much to do there but I always dreamt of going to Norway and I put on facebook that i wanted to go to norway and did anyone have any space in a van adrian who i'd met from World championships in in america popped up and was like yeah dude you can you can hop in with myself and my friend bram peters and let's go to norway together and that was you know like the start the spark of send and then the, the crew fully formed when we all took a trip to chile seven years ago and that's that's been I guess the the story of from Warrington to waterfalls you know like growing up in this in this little industrial town and being shaped by it and being called by the river and following that path as as like nothing else you know it's it's been my main focus now for 15 years to to just be on the water kayaking on the best rivers in the world and trying to be the nicest person that I can be along the way to everyone and yeah, it's it's been a beautiful journey up to this point and I'm super grateful for everyone that's been a part of it and, and has helped out a young kid. There's always going to be people that I miss out talking, talking about um, my come up in an hour long podcast, but I'm super grateful to everyone that's been a part of it and has helped me. Truly, I, I couldn't have done this without the kindness from other people and other kayakers and yeah much love to you all i hope you enjoyed this podcast and yeah um stay tuned hopefully me and adrian will link up for a for a joint one soon and we'll we'll talk more things about these recent escapades and adventures here in chile and in zambia and hopefully we'll talk about what's coming next in january because we have a sick project in the works In the meantime, cheers team. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.